0: You're listening to a sermon preached
1: at Sojourn Church Midtown. This is our sermon series, Sacred Habits, how practicing the way of Jesus helps you to flourish spiritually and stay grounded emotionally. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 1117 through 33. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not we would not be judged." But when you, we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Let's pray together. Father, we proclaim this morning, hallelujah, for you have won the victory And that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And you raised him from the dead. And that by faith in Jesus, we are justified by faith in Christ. No longer condemned, not guilty, standing before you, the just one, as the justified people. Father, we praise you that you've won the victory because Jesus has come willingly, voluntarily giving up his life to die as our substitute for our sins, to snatch us from the fiery pits of hell, to emancipate us from sin's bondage, to free us from being a slave to the devil and his lies. You have won the victory. And Father, we praise You. Hallelujah, You've won the victory by sending Your Spirit to fill our hearts, whom we receive by faith in Christ. Because Jesus died as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. And Father, now as we come this morning... For this last sermon in our series on the sacred habits of Jesus, and as we reflect upon the Lord's Supper, we pray that you would remind us that this meal represents that you have won the victory, that Jesus absorbed your wrath, that he shed his blood for our sin and And may you, by your Spirit, move us to feast on Jesus. Move us to celebrate this feast in a worthy manner as the people of God. Move us to rest in Christ as we are satisfied in Him. And Father, we pray also that you would help me to preach your word faithfully to your people and move your people to receive it by faith. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our sermon series this morning on the sacred habits of Jesus as this is the last sermon in this series. Last week, Pastor Jamal focused on the sacred habit of fasting. Today, we consider the sacred habit of feasting on the gospel of Jesus Christ. By practicing the Lord's Supper together in a worthy manner. Our text this morning teaches. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He shared a final meal with his disciples. Where he broke bread. And shared it with them. And also drank wine. And shared it with them. The broken bread, or the bro- the broken bread represents his broken body. And the wine represents His shed blood for their sins. Jesus tells His disciples they should celebrate this meal in remembrance of Him. This meal is not an act of works righteousness whereby we seek to earn favor with God. It's a meal that reminds us That we must feast on Jesus. That we must place our trust in him. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Shed his blood for our sins. So that we can be saved from our sin and saved from God's wrath. And so that we can be one people filled with a diversity of people. That share in this one lump and this one cup together as the people of God. This meal is called the Lord's Supper in our text. The New Testament does not tell us how often we should celebrate the Lord's Supper, but it clearly commands us to celebrate it, to remember the redemption that God has accomplished for us by Jesus' sacrificial death for our sins. If you've been attending Midtown for any period of time, you know that we celebrate the Lord's Supper each Lord's Day. Because we want to remind each other and be reminded together of the responsibility and of the importance of feasting our minds and our hearts and our lives together on the Lord Jesus Christ who alone is the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. The basic point I want to emphasize this morning from this text is, the Lord's Supper is for saved sinners. It's not for perfect people. It's for saved sinners who faithfully follow Jesus. And we should partake of the Lord's Supper... Together in a worthy manner as the people of God and feast on Jesus together as the people of God. There are two truths related to this point that I want to articulate to you from this text. First, Paul states there are divisions at the Lord's Supper at Corinth. As you know, there are many divisions. In Corinth, But when you come to this text, the divisions that exist in the church are divisions between the wealthy Christians and the poor Christians. What's happening in the text is the wealthy Christians are drinking all of the wine and eating all of the food at the Lord's Supper before the poor Christians show up. And when the poor Christians show up, they don't have anything to share with the wealthy Christians or with each other at the Lord's Supper. And they're shamed or or dishonored, treated as though they're not part of the people of God. Now, we'll look at the text here in a moment and see this, but let me set this in some context for you. Before we read these verses, we must remember that first century churches met in houses. They didn't go to church when they went to a building. They were the church. And they gathered together as the church in the houses most likely of wealthy Christians who had room to host the church. The wealthy members likely provided not only the space, but also the food. And the wine for the meal. And the poor members went to the wealthy members home for worship as the church. And the Lord's Supper was celebrated as a meal. As a banquet. In the context of these house churches. And at some point in the meal, they honored the broken body of Jesus. And they honored The shed blood of Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to minimize anything that we do here, but when we drink the juice from our cup and when we eat the wafer, that's a nice reflection of what the Lord's Supper represents. But it's not exactly the same thing that first century Christians did. They actually shared a real meal, it was a feast, it was a messianic banquet. If you will. And they celebrated. That's why they had wine. That's why they had food. The entire event of the Lord's Supper was within the context of worship. In the homes of these wealthy believers. As they gathered together to worship Jesus. And to share the Lord's Supper. In order to honor and remember what Jesus did in dying for their sins. The problem addressed here, as I've said, is the wealthy members celebrate in the absence of the poor members. That's why the text says y'all should wait for one another before you partake of the Lord's Supper. It was as though, here's Paul's criticism, it was as though the wealthy Christians were treating the Lord's Supper like one of their pagan feasts or banquets that they shared before they came to faith in Jesus Christ, where social hierarchies were prioritized in the context of worship. And by their behavior, these wealthy Corinthians are playing up their social status and shaming and dehumanizing these poor Christians who are left with nothing when they arrive. And Paul thinks this behavior is abominable. This is why, as I said, he tells the Corinthians in verse 33 to wait for one another. That is, wait for everybody to show up. Don't allow your social status to Triumph over your new identity in Jesus, but wait for the poor Christians to arrive. And by the way, I know they were poor Christians because Paul calls them the have-nots in the text. They're those who have nothing to bring. Paul also tells them in verses 17 through 22 that they should eat and drink at home. And not do that in a way that dishonors the Lord's Supper. Not to treat the Lord's Supper like a pagan feast, but instead to treat it like a messianic banquet where Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, and middle class, and anything else, are all welcomed in Christ to share together as the people of God, to share in this one bread. And this one lump. So that's the context. Let's see it in the text. Verses 17 through 22. My first point is, Paul states there are divisions at the Lord's Supper. And there are divisions between the rich and the poor. Verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, that language of coming together is language, church language. When you come together as the church, it is not for the better, but for the worst. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. There are divisions regarding class. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Exactly. Instead of eating the Lord's Supper, they're treating the Lord's Supper like a banquet meal, a pagan banquet meal. They're playing up their social status. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. They're not waiting for these poor Christians. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. That's what you did when you were pagans. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those, here it is, who have nothing? Do you see my point? Do you see my point? Okay, that's not a rhetorical question. Do you see my point? The word for humiliate here can also mean shame. In our context, we associate shame with guilt. That's not what Paul is doing here. He's not associating shame with personal guilt. Paul's writing to an honor-shame community. In an honor-shame community, honor comes from those within the community who uphold the values and the social structures of the community. And when those within a community in the first century did not uphold those value structures, they dishonored those from within the community and shamed them by treating them as though they're not part of the community. Paul's point is by your behavior you're shaming these poor Christians you're treating them as though they're not part of the people of God do you understand that point you're treating them by consuming the wine and eating all the food before they arrive and leaving them nothing to share in with you as the people of God you're treating them as though they're not the people of God you're shaming them by your actions you're Excommunicating them so to speak From the people of God As you play up your social card Your class card And you carry out your Practice of the Lord's Supper The same way you carried out your behavior As a pagan at one of your pagan feasts And Paul says that ought not to be This is not something to commend you for this is dishonoring to the body of Jesus Christ. It's dishonoring to the sacrifice of atonement that He offered for the sins of rich and poor and middle class and every tongue and tribe and people and nation. His blood bleeds red for every class of humanity. Amen? And unifies them into one people filled with many different people. But The Corinthians... We're not practicing the Lord's Supper like that. There were divisions at the Lord's Supper. Second, Paul now reminds the Corinthians of the appropriate way to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And he explains to them the meaning of the Lord's Supper. But then he also gives them a warning that if they don't examine themselves and celebrate the supper in the appropriate way, they bring judgment upon themselves. Notice first, he explains to them what the Lord's Supper means in verses 23 to 26. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, no, he's going to quote Jesus' words at the Lord's Supper. The words that Jesus spoke at the Passover with his disciples, that last meal. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, what Jesus means, of course, is that the bread represents his broken body. The bread is not his literal broken body, but it represents the broken body. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, I hope you hear in that statement this new Exodus language. Think for a moment with me about Exodus chapter 24. In Exodus 24, Moses comes down from the mountain with the book of the covenant in his hand. And he tells the people of God what God's expectations of them were. And they say to Moses, all of what God says we'll do. Now, of course, they don't. They fall short. But Moses takes them at their word, and he takes some blood, and he sprinkles the blood on the book of the covenant. In a similar way, the Passover in Exodus chapter 12 that was celebrated when God delivered Israel out of Egypt. That Passover was a a celebration that reminded the people of God Of God's great salvation. Jesus is the new Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He is the the minister of a new covenant. The old covenant has come to its end and to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is the new and perfect way. His blood, this is what he's saying. His blood and his blood alone is what provides forgiveness of sins. And he wants his disciples to celebrate this meal in his remembrance because it reminds them and us again and again and again that our sins have been atoned by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are members of this new covenant. Paul continues, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Now, so he's explaining to them, Paul, that is, what the Lord's Supper means. And now he's going to explain to them that they need to celebrate the supper in a worthy manner. Not in a perfect manner. Nobody's perfect but to celebrate it in a way that is pleasing to God. And one way they did this was not to discriminate between the rich and the poor. It is dishonorable to have one supper for the rich, one supper for the poor. That dishonors the death of Jesus. And then he warns them of God's judgment if they don't listen. Notice verse 27. Down to verse 34 Whoever therefore eats the bread Or drinks the cup of the Lord In an unworthy manner Will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord And what does that mean? It means they're bringing judgment upon themselves I don't know exactly the degree to which the judgment will come But we know in the text that some got sick and some became weak and others died because they celebrated the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So the point to take away from this is, is that the Lord's Supper is not a game to be played with. If you partake of it in an unworthy manner, Paul says, you are, we are guilty concerning Jesus' blood and his body. Therefore, notice the exhortation, let a person examine himself. Then, and so he may eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's so important. There is a kind of introspection that is unhelpful, right? We know these people. I'm one of these people. I get, I feel guilty about everything. If I eat a dessert, I feel guilty. That's why I don't eat desserts, by the way. One reason. Feel guilty if I drive too fast. I'm constantly examining myself. Well, if I really love Jesus, would I drive 66 and a 65? That's not helpful. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about you must evaluate your life before you partake of the Lord's supper. And the evaluation, I would argue, happens before you show up for the supper. You already know we celebrate the supper every single Lord's Day at Midtown. So the evaluation should start daily whereby you are looking at your life and you're asking yourself these kinds of questions. Am I walking in a manner with Jesus worthy of the gospel? Am I living a life of repentance? Am I seeking to follow Jesus on the narrow and difficult path that leads to life? Now, no one does this perfectly. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Paul says we must all examine our lives. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, he says, examine yourself to see if Christ is in you. This is no light matter. Examine ourselves. Ask ourselves questions like, am I seeking to to follow Jesus in the normal rhythms of life? And Paul would say, if the answer to that question is no, then don't partake of the Lord's Supper. Am I dividing the body of Christ with gossip and slander and unwilling to repent when confronted? Paul would say, if the answer to that question is, yes, you are dividing the body of Christ with gossip and slander. And no, you're not willing to repent. He would say, don't partake of the Lord's Supper because if you do, you're, you're partaking in an unworthy manner. He continues and says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What's the purpose of self-evaluation? It is to pass the test. So that if you evaluate your faith and ask yourselves regularly, am I walking with Jesus Am I seeking to follow him in a pattern of repentance, not a pattern of perfection? Nobody is perfect. Do y'all hear that this morning? Nobody is perfect except Jesus, right? But are we following him on a path, a journey? Think of it that way. As a walk to the celestial city, if I can borrow from that Christian classic for a moment. As we're journeying on on the road that's bumpy and difficult that leads to that celestial city. Are we walking on the journey of repentance? And, and if we evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves those questions and we, and we pass the test and we preserve ourselves from God's eschatological wrath because we'll prove ourselves to be saved if we pass the test. Again, that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, examine yourself to see if Christ is in you. Unless you fail the test. Now, let me say a word, a pastoral word here to those of you who have sensitive consciences. You ought not to walk around anxious and worried about whether you are a Christian unless you are living in disobedience to Jesus. Does that make sense? If you're following Jesus, living a life of repentance, you should not worry about your salvation. But if you're living a life rebellious against God and you don't pass the self-examination, that should cause you to concern and that concern should move you to repentance so you can be free from that concern. Does that make sense? Look, I'm trying to teach this morning, folks, and I need your help. Does that make sense? So he says this. So then, my brothers and sisters. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. Notice again, this this statement to wait. These wealthy Christians weren't waiting for these poor Christians. And remember, these poor Christians, they didn't have the luxury of leisure time. Some of them were probably coming from work. Some of them likely would have been slaves. In the first century Christian community, there was a complexity of individuals who came to faith in Jesus Christ from different ethnicities and different classes and different genders. And one of the things Paul is trying to help the Corinthians understand is they cannot do business as usual as the people of God, the same way they did in the world as pagans. But in Christ Jesus, there's no male, female, no slave or free, no rich, poor, no Jew, Gentile, we're all all one in Christ. But there are rich and poor. There there are male and female. There are different ethnicities. There is, in the first century, there was slave and free. Here's Paul's point. That in Christ Jesus, those social hierarchies that existed in the world are transformed by the power of the gospel. And amongst the people of God, those social hierarchies do not make those different classes and kinds of people part of the people of God or grant them status as the people of God. But in Christ Jesus, those different classes of people are all one in Christ without eradicating their differences because the differences were real. Otherwise, why are there so many problems at the first Baptist church, Corinth? Wasn't really a Baptist church or was it? So he wants them to wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the salvation we have in Jesus. But if we celebrate it in an unworthy manner, we are are bringing judgment upon ourselves. But that judgment has been absorbed by the blood of Jesus for us. And therefore, we freely and joyfully, as the people of of God, celebrate the Lord's Supper in a a worthy manner. So I have 10 applications, just very quickly, all right? These These are quick. These are quick. First, the Lord's Supper is not for unbelievers. If you're not a Christian, the Lord's Supper is not for you. But you can give your life to Jesus Christ right now. You can turn from your sin, fix your eyes on Christ, believe by faith that God offered Jesus to die for your sins and that God raised him from the dead and you can be saved. And we would love as pastors to talk with you after the service over in the connect room about what it would mean for you in the future in the right time to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But if you're not a Christian, this meal is not for you. Second, the Lord's Supper is not for Christians who are living in unrepentant sin. Now, let me explain what I mean. We are all sinners. And one thing we do as Christians is repent. And repentance, by the way, is not simply doing the same thing over and over again and changing your, and, and asking for forgiveness when you do it with no intent to change. Repentance is a change of Direction. You're seeking to leave your sin and you're following Jesus and you're doing the necessary spiritual work like confessing it in appropriate context, first to the Lord, but also to other believers and also getting help so that people can walk with you as opposed to hiding your sin in your hearts. Now to clarify, we all have sins that we struggle with. We all do. And I don't work for the sin police, all right? And nobody at this church does. My point is this. There's a difference between recognizing we got sin issues and refusing to walk in repentance in those issues. If you confess to know Jesus on the one hand, but you refuse when confronted with your sin to walk the narrow and difficult path of repentance, then you should not partake of the Lord's Supper unless you repent. Third, third, The Lord's Supper is not for Christians who are currently under church discipline or excommunication. Now, notice I put those in two different categories. Excommunication is a form of church discipline, but not all church discipline is excommunication. So if you are, for example, under discipline that's not excommunication, it will look like this. Your sin has become clear to others. And brothers and sisters lovingly come alongside of you and help you understand that you need to repent of your sin. And you refuse to turn from your sin and you tell them, I'm going to do whatever I want because God loves me. That is called unrepentant sin. And you're therefore, I would say, putting yourself in a position whereby you ought not to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And if your unrepentant sin continues to go unrepentant, then the church has a responsibility in time to practice Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, which is called excommunication. So if you're living in unrepentant sin, you're refusing to let it go. You're refusing to turn from your sin. You're refusing to follow Jesus. Even when loving brothers and sisters tell you of your sin and clearly point it out to you and you're so stubborn and hard-headed and you refuse to let it go, then you're not to take of the Lord's Supper. And if you've come under excommunication The Lord's Supper is not for you. Not until you repent and have gone through a restoration process. Let me pause and just say, are you guys okay? Are you all right? Now this is the topic that was given to me. Okay? So I prefer not to preach on this. It's hard. But that's the beauty of preaching in a church that preaches the Bible. We preach the text, no matter how hard it is. It's hard for me. So, are you okay? You want me to pray again and then start back up with the application? Are you okay? All right. I'm almost finished. Number five. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Number four. <laughs> I'm going to go four, three, two, one. I'm going in the reverse. Number five. Before we partake, or excuse me, number four. The Lord's Supper, I'm confusing myself. The Lord's Supper, number four, is for saved sinners who are faithfully living a life of repentance. I want you to hear that. If you are perfect today, this meal is not for you. It's not for perfect people. It's for people who are desperate for the Lord's forgiveness and who recognize their desperation. And therefore, they're journeying on the path with the people of God that leads to life. Five, before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we must examine our lives. If we have unrepentant sin in our lives, we should either repent or not partake if we refuse to repent. If we partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, then we may bring judgment upon our lives. Six. The Lord's Supper is like baptism. It's like a a church ordinance. We partake of the Lord's Supper when we gather together as a church. Not when we gather together at a Christian concert, at a Christian school, or in a community group. None of those things are the church. The church, by the way, is not the building. It's the people who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who make a covenant together to sit under the authority of the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, and make a covenant together to sit under pastoral authority, shepherds who shepherd their souls and give account for their souls. And a church that has deacons that serve, is a a people that has deacons that serve them. And a church is a place where the ordinances are celebrated, baptism and the Lord's Supper, preaching of the Word, the pastoral authority of elders and Servant leadership like deacons and core theological beliefs that unite us. That's what the church is. You you don't have any of those things. If you don't have any of those things, you don't have a church. community group is part of the church, but it's not the church. Further, a Christian concert may have all Christians in the audience, but that's not a church. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church. Together as the people of God. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 and 18? He says, when you gather together as the church, you do this. Says the same thing, by the way, about church discipline in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4. So let me just give a shout out to the church, can I? If you follow Jesus today, if you are a Christian, you should become a member of this congregation if you've been coming for a regular period of time. And don't come at me with this while I'm a member of the global church. My response is, how do you know that? Unless you are a member of a local church that believes in the things that I just said. When you are a member of a church, you are voluntarily submitting yourself under the authority of elders and the Word of God and the ordinances at that congregation. So join the church if you're a Christian. And more particularly, join this church if you've been coming for a long period of time. The New I don't want to preach a sermon on church membership because this is the Lord's Supper sermon. But just let me give you one parenthetical thought here. The New Testament has no category for a Christian who is not baptized and part of a church. Thief on the cross is one example out of a million that would go contrary to what I'm saying, right? But the normal rhythm is if you're saved, you get baptized, you become part of the church, and you submit under the authority of the elders and the leadership of that church. And so far as that authority and that leadership is faithfully working out the Word of God in its way Ministry. Seven, the Lord's Supper celebrates Jesus' death for our sins and points us to the feast that we enjoy together with him forever, both now and in the age to come. Eight, the Lord's Supper points to the unity we share in Christ in our ethnic and social diversity. Now, all right, I'm almost done. I've been black for 43 years. Because I'm 43 years old. And it's my position that class issues are often more difficult for churches than race issues. Because if you get people from different ethnicities together who are from the same class... That in many respects is easier than getting folks who are the same ethnicity from different classes. Or, uh, yeah, from different classes. And here's the issue at hand. Here's a testimony. One of the reasons why I love Midtown is because it loves people. And I'm not going to cry when I say this. But it loves people no matter what your class. And we're not perfect. We have our own issues here. But I know if I drop dead today, my wife and my son would be loved well here. That's one of the reasons why we joined this church. In addition to the fact that we love Pastor Jamal and Miss Amber, another reason we joined the church was because, of course, we love Jesus first. <laughs> it's because we wanted to be in a place where the kind of love that Jesus exemplifies in his death is practically intentionally worked out by the body. And I just want to encourage us to keep on living in that vein. Because one of the challenges of, let's say say it this way, when you start getting some degrees behind your name and some zeros behind your paycheck that you didn't have, we can just start reflexively thinking we're better than those who don't have those degrees or those zeros. Or if we don't have degrees and zeros, we might think we're better than those who do. And let me just also say a word of appreciation here for those brothers and sisters in this church who use their wealth for the glory of God and steward it to help those in need and to build up the body. We have, we have generous, wealthy and poor people and middle-class people in this congregation. And I praise God for that. But may we be aware of the fact that because we are sinners, there's a real possibility that we can begin doing the same kind of nonsense the Corinthians did by playing up our social status against those who don't share our social posture. And we have to remind ourselves that in Christ Jesus, are y'all still with me? In Christ Jesus, I believe this with all of my heart, diverse ethnicities, diverse classes, we all share in the kingdom and we share in the blessing of the spirit and we feast on the same savior and we share in the same supper there's no nine o'clock service for the poor people and a 10 o'clock service for the rich people and 11 o'clock service for the middle class that's not why we have multiple services right So if you are poor, or rich, or middle class, regardless of your ethnicity, if you're in Christ Jesus, we are family, and we treat each other like families. And that means how we use our stuff and how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This sermon was 21 minutes when I first wrote it, and it's already 45, so I got two more points. I'm done, all right? Number nine, I'm so sorry I've gone long. Number nine, the Lord's Supper reminds us of Jesus's sacrificial death for our sins. It's a reminder of that. This is not you earning your way to heaven. Nobody can do that. This is not you trying to get right with God by doing something. That is you celebrating. Can we celebrate? Celebrating what God's done for you in Jesus. And you're reminding yourself every time you celebrate it in the right way with the people of God at Sojourn Midtown that we together celebrate in this feast. And I'm done after this. Each time we celebrate number 10, the Lord's Supper, together as a church, in the appropriate worthy manner, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is a sermon. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are two visual sermons, as one pastor has said. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper the right way, we're preaching by, by how we're living that Jesus died for our sins. So, brothers and sisters, the Lord's Supper is for saved sinners who faithfully follow Jesus. And we should celebrate the Lord's Supper, feast on the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, together as a church, until Jesus returns. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would do this now. That We would approach this meal with the reverence that it deserves. Help us to examine our hearts, help us to recognize that God in Christ, you have acted to absorb your wrath for our sins, and that the Lord's Supper reminds us of that. And Lord, use this supper as a means to remind us that we're both right with you by faith in Christ, and we're also reconciled to each other. So, Lord, free us now if there's any slander or gossip or division in the church. There's any backbiting or devouring in the church that needs to be repented of, Lord. We pray that you would give grace to repent and to make things right before we examine, before we partake of this meal. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed... He celebrated this meal with his disciples. And at the meal, he took some bread and broke it. He said, this bread represents my broken body. To be broken for you, do this in remembrance of me, take and eat. And in the same way, he shared wine with his disciples. And he said, this wine represents the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, take and drink.